Or you can do all those things and so much more Just grab a seat in the chair or the floor Sit back, relax, recline While she drops another casual line You're tuned in to Casually Molly With Molly and Bergie Welcome back to the Casually Molly podcast, everybody. I am your host, Molly Ambergy, uh, based here out of St. Louis, Missouri. I'm a comedian and a playwright, and uh, most fun. I like to interview a lot of interesting and exciting guests. And to kick off the first episode of season seven, we have comedian Jim Florentine in the house, and the crowd goes wild. Okay, so, oh, I know. We don't have any sound effects, but we do have Jim Florentine here. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Love the brick background. Very professional. I appreciate it. So <laughs> it's, it's, fake, it's fake brick that I got at Lowe's for like $24 a sheet. I put two together. Nice. Make like an old school comedy club background right on my wall in my living room. So what? Oh, my God. I just uh, I just bought a house that has kind of an, like a fake brick as well on it, too. And I've been kind of looking around and I, I go to Home Depot and Menards and Lowe's a lot for that, too. So I'll definitely have to look into that. Thank you for uh, being informative about that. I appreciate it. Uh, now, Jim, most importantly, uh, we're really excited about your comedy special. I just watched it on YouTube this weekend. I loved it. You were very funny. Why don't you tell us the title of it and where we can find it? Uh, the title's called uh, Bite the Bullet. It's my new comedy special. You can find it on my YouTube channel. It's uh, youtube.com slash Jim Florentine Comedy. It's free. It's there. You can watch it wherever you want and, you know, watch it on your phone or whatever. That's the one thing about the YouTube, you know, comedy specials. People don't need to see it on a big screen. Everyone's watching stuff on their phone anyway. And I just stand there and tell jokes. So it's not like there's <laughs> any action going on. <laughs> well, it was definitely a lot of fun. I felt like there was a lot of action happening. Uh, everybody should check it out. I was laughing the whole time. Uh, one of my favorite jokes, and I, I don't want to ruin it for everybody because I want people to watch it, but I really loved how you talked about restaurant reviews and how you're like, it's okay. Like, you don't have to leave a restaurant review. You know, you're going to have dinner later. You're going to have another meal. Um, but, you know, that's something that I really enjoyed out of it. But what do you feel as, you know, you're very accomplished. You have about, I think, four comedy albums, six different specials. What does this special maybe to you stand out amongst the other ones that you've accomplished? Hey, I don't know. You know, it's all, I'm always just talking about what's going on in my life at that time when I do a comedy special. So I, I really like this one a lot. You know, I don't know if it's my best one, but I, I do like it. It took me about two and a half years to put all the material together and, uh, you know, get it out there and stuff. So um, I'm really happy with it. It's, you know, it's not so personal as much as like my last one was all about my divorce. And then the other one was about getting married for the first time, moving in the suburbs. So this one is just kind of, you know, raising an 11 year old kid, 10 year old kid, and, you know, just going through dating and all that stuff and some general stuff too. But I like this one a lot though. I'm really, I'm proud of it. And how was it, uh, you know, speaking of like being on a streaming service, how you mentioned with YouTube and everything, um, was it any different producing the uh, special, like having it on a streaming service? Do you feel like it reached out to more people versus prior when we didn't have the streaming services accessible? Yeah, because, you know, my, my other comedies are specials. You can rent them like on Amazon Prime or Apple, but as not as many people will see it. You put it out there for free, more people are definitely going to go to YouTube and find it somehow whatever so you'll get more eyes on it and hopefully that will 
translate to more people coming to see it at a comedy club. And that's Absolutely. ultimately what you want. So yes. as long as you could shoot it cheap and shoot it, you know, where enough where it makes sense to put it out for free and put it on YouTube, then it works. So that's what I did. So. Absolutely. Well, I mean, like I said, you mentioned earlier, you're watching, you can watch it on your phone. I watched it this weekend on my phone. I was able to work out. I was laughing. I was having a good time. Uh, but speaking of laughter, when did you get the uh, comedian bug? Like, when were you like, this is my, or do you have a moment where you thought this is my time where I'm going to start pursuing stand-up comedy? Well, yeah, you know, I don't know. You know, I was always just a wise ass growing <laughs> up. You know, I grew up, you grew up in New Jersey and I come from a family of seven kids. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, you have to, you know, you have to, and you know, in New Jersey, it's like, you just, you know, you're all about one liners and making fun of people. That's a weird way of showing affection. <laughs> so you have to be sharp. You, right. know, you walk in a room wearing a bad shirt, you're going to hear about it for like an hour straight. <laughs> exactly. And you can't get mad. You're just like, yeah, I probably shouldn't award us. And you just got to sit there and take it. Maybe you come back with stuff. So I was always good like that, you know, like one liners and being a wise ass and stuff. And then, you know, I knew pretty early on in my life that I didn't want any boss. I didn't want to listen to anybody. So I figured stand-up comedy would be the best route for that, where I could be my own boss. Absolutely. And, Go ahead. You know, and then, yeah, and then once I started getting up on stage and get laughs and actually making money doing it, I'm like, this is awesome. This is what a great <laughs> job. Yes, absolutely. And you were recently here, you know, we're based in St. Louis. You were actually here at the Funny Bone St. Louis recently. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that being back at Westport? It's my favorite club. It's probably my favorite club in the whole country. I come there like once every year to 18 months. Matt, the owner's great. I've been coming there since like 2004. The staff is great. Still the same staff after all these years. It's just a, it's a great little, you know, old school comedy club. Absolutely. Where it's dark in there and they sit right on top of you, you know, uh, the sound system's great. It's just, you know, it's not, it's not really nice to place, you know, it's not really like fancy and I don't want, you don't want that in the comedy club. Exactly. You kind of want it like dingy and stuff. And uh, I love it. I love coming there. Yeah, I feel the same way. The Funny Bone, it's a great club. We've gotten plenty of support from them. Uh, shout out to the Funny Bone St. Louis and Westport. Uh, I will ask you, though, too, you know, speaking of performing live, you know, we've been talking about the pandemic, obviously, and I don't want to talk about the pandemic the whole time. But uh, just from your perspective, you know, it's been great that you've been doing these specials just so, you know, with COVID and everything going on, it's been great to be able to watch you just like in hand and on a streaming service, obviously. Uh, but how have you been navigating the pandemic? I know you're you're running a podcast, you're an author. What have you been working on during the time being? And uh, when did you start getting back into doing live shows? Yeah, it was like the summer of 2020, about four or five months. I kind of had to lay low and then you start doing some outdoor shows. There's a lot of outdoor shows and park a lots and outside. So anywhere you can pretty much get on stage. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, you just, you know, there's nothing you could do. Nobody wanted to be inside. And there was always to 25% capacity, 50% capacity. So it wasn't good enough to tour. There were some states were open a little. So you just kind of lay low and just, you know, I never had that much time off in my career. It was kind of a weird adjustment. But yeah, once I started getting back out there and playing in a park a lot, I, you know, that's usually a really bad gig if you're going to be standing in a park a lot. You want, you know, low ceilings, people sit right next to each other. Now you're outside and people are spread out because they don't want to be sitting near each other. Right. And yeah. now all of a sudden, like, no, this is great. I don't, this is, I'll take this, you know. So all of a sudden your mindset changed. And it was just good to get back up on stage and do what we did because it basically got taken away from us for a while. Yeah, no, we for found sure. That we, weren't, we found that we weren't essential to comics, you know. When, uh, 
when I first went down there. Yeah. So Guess laughter is an essential. Yeah, yeah I understand. Not, so. <laughs> uh, but it seems like you're making it work. Uh, why don't you tell us, speaking of, you know, we were talking about, you know, standing in parking lots and everything, but, you know, being behind the microphone, you do have a podcast as well. I listened to it today. It's very funny. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? That's just, uh, it's called Everybody is Awful Except You. <laughs> and it's, it's based off my book, too. It's just that people, you know, send in, you know, all the listeners of the podcast and then stuff like on, on social media that, that can make fun of, like, you know, gender reveal parties and people's dumb Facebook posts or whatever, whatever they, they, they would think would annoy me or new trendy slang words, you know, and then I just, I just, you know, rant about it for 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, well, what I loved about it was I, I pretty much agreed with everything you were talking about. And I, I, I wanted to know kind of the mindset. Obviously, it's like you ranting, you're behind the microphone. Do you feel like your comedy experience helps you like be prepared to talk behind a microphone by yourself? Because it's just you, obviously. But since there isn't a live audience there, what's your mindset in keeping that energy and momentum going for that podcast episode? Yeah, I mean, it's... You know, the original, the original reason I started doing it, the rant version, is like I, I could, I didn't want to rely on booking a guest every week. Mm -hmm. It was going to be tough for me to do. So I said, you know what, I might as well just do this myself. I could do it on the road if I'm in a hotel room. I could do it at my house. I could do it wherever I want. I have to worry about booking a guest each week. And a lot of comics are having other comics on their podcast. And I said, I just want to try to do something different. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, you know, and I'm like, I got enough material just to rant on, you know, just to go if I get enough material here, I can make it work. So it's kind of like a stream of consciousness thing, just kind of riffing and seeing where it goes. I never know where it's going to go. <laughs> I just have a general idea, a topic, and then I just kind of wing it from there. Oh, absolutely. And I, I kind of love that it's so spontaneous and you're not really sure what's going to happen. But at the same time, I love that you use the example of stream of consciousness and saying that just because I feel like that's very relatable to a listener that we, at least for me, um, I told you kind of earlier off air, I have a family from Queens. Everybody was very direct, very dynamic. So it was just kind of our living situation. Everything was a stream of consciousness. Everybody just said what they wanted to at a certain point. So I understand exactly how a uh, you you feel about that uh the other thing you had mentioned there was a you wrote a book and that was kind of in partnership with the podcast so the book came before the podcast no the podcast was out and then the podcast the book was based on my podcast just oh, uh you know okay. cool. yeah it was kind of pretty much the same thing and i've been doing the podcast now for like 10 years cool okay i've been doing it every week and it's there's a wealth of material out there'll never end as long as facebook's still around i'll be i could do a podcast for the rest of my life Absolutely. Uh, what yeah. was it like uh, doing the book version of it? A book's a lot more work. You know, you'd think it'd be easy, just write it and that's it. But there's a million different things. You go through a book company. It takes two years to come out. You got to do editing and this and, you know, back and forth and then going through lawyers to make sure, you know, you're not slandering anybody or to keep names out, all that stuff. So it was, it was, it was a big project. I was like, man, this is everyone. I remember people always saying, oh, man, a book. It was such so such hard work. I'm like, how hard could it be? And then when you do it, you realize it. And then you have to do an audio book too. So you have to go in a studio and read basically everything from the from the book, which takes hours and hours. And they want it exactly like the book. So if you make one little mistake, you got to do it again. And about two three hours in, you're just delirious from reading. Like you're just like, I need a break. I got to get out of here. So it takes a while to do that too. But yeah, you know, ultimately it came out. It was it you know people enjoyed it so. 
Absolutely. I'm going to have to take a look at this then. I apologize that I haven't read it yet, but I'm looking forward to, I love reading. So this is going to be uh, my next endeavor is reading your book. So thank you for letting us know that. Um, you had also mentioned too, you, uh, you talk about parenting in your sets, obviously, uh, which is always very funny. Um, now having a son who sees you do stand up comedy, does he want to be a comedian as well? Do you get that question a lot? <laughs> Well, he goes, he's been on stage a bunch of times. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Cool. He, yeah. He would go up and he'd be fearless up there. He didn't even care. It's amazing. I'm like the stage presence he has. I like, you know, when he was six and seven and then he didn't go on for about two, about two years, you know, through the pandemic and stuff. And he went up like a few months ago for the first time at like two years and didn't miss a beat. Like he'd wow. think he'd be rusty. He didn't know what he was doing. And then, uh, so I don't know what he wants to do. You know, he's more into sports now, so I'm not going to push it on him, but. He does enjoy going to shows and laughing. He's laughing like crazy in the back, you know, at anyone. <laughs> yeah. As long as he gets the jokes and stuff, he loves going to stand-up comedy shows and going to the shows. So um, you will see what happens. I don't know. You know, does it, do I want him to have a life as a comedian? Lonely on the road, hanging out in a hotel room by yourself for four days, <laughs> waiting to do a show at 8 o'clock at night. I don't know if I want, you know, it's not It's not for everyone. Sure. Absolutely. So uh, who knows? We'll see what we'll see. He's got plenty of time to figure it out. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I just think it's so great that you incorporate your family into it. And I think that's an awesome thing to see. Uh, but what I love too, speaking of like you were talking about earlier about riffing on things, you talk about just like everything that you're riffing on on a daily basis. Uh, do you keep like mental note of these things? Does it just come naturally to you after a certain period of time? Do you write, you know, your jokes out? What's your process for your writing or for your, you know, producing of jokes? Yeah, if I come up with an idea, I'll just put it in like the notes on the iPhone, which is good. It's a good spot. Usually you wrote it on a, you know, a piece of paper or an index car, and then you carry them around. You know, so I kind of just put the, put the general idea down, maybe just kind of flush it out. Maybe just talk into the voice memo and just kind of like work out the joke and then go listen back and maybe edit it. But ultimately, you got to bring it on stage and give it a shot and see if it works. Mm -hmm. But usually I'll put have an idea and then I'll just kind of riff with it on and then I'll try to build on the idea from there if it start working and build into a longer routine, you know, instead of just a quick thought, I'll keep building and building on the joke, trying to figure out which way direction I can go in. Yeah, absolutely. And I can definitely see all like the work that you're putting into. Again, it's like, uh, it's what I love about your style is like, obviously, you know, being in comedy, I understand the work that you put into it. But at the same time, you have a beautiful gift of making it look so effortless. Is that just kind of how it feels to you that it comes naturally after a certain point? Well, that's the key. You know, you got to make it like you're not just rehearsing and just learning your lines up there and exactly. spewing them out. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to, you know, you have to sell you. Meanwhile, you're doing that set for a while, you know, getting it down and working it. But you have to make it fresh for the audience every night because if you're just going through the motions, which... I know I've been guilty of for some shows when you're just not into it. The audience could feel it like, oh, this is kind of like rehearsed. He's almost like reading off a cue card mm -hmm. and not putting any emotion in it. But I really have to like, when I'm talking about like people leaving a, a one-star Yelp review at a place, <laughs> you know, because their French fries were cold, you know? Right. <laughs> like, okay. Sorry. They can, you know, they'll send, they'll send some more French fries out. It's no reason to trash the business. Cause then that review is there forever. You know, it brings down their ultimate, you know, their, their, you know, they're, uh, you know, if they're five star and there's one out of two and a half. So it affects their review or the whole restaurant. And so I can really get, I get in that rage mode when I'm on stage, when I'm doing that, this thinking about somebody actually doing that. 
Oh, absolutely. So it definitely helps. Yeah, I, could, I need to feel the material. So, But then when I'm not angry about it anymore, Mark, or just, I go, all right, I got to get rid of this material because it's just not working anymore. Because the audience could almost feel like, you know, ah, he's not being, he, that doesn't really bother him. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love that you had mentioned that because it, it is, I get angry with you listening to him. I'm like, absolutely. Like who would leave a one star Yelp review? And then it's the same thing afterwards. You like get angry about something. You're like, all right, I'm good now. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. It's okay. And look, comedy's all about like picking apart things and complaining. Mm -hmm. Like it's complaining about your relationship or whatever like that and making a new routine. That's what it really is. You pick this stuff that where the tension is, where there's problems, not, not the nice stuff, the nice stuff. You know, if you talk about people that leave five-star Yelp reviews, that's really nice. You're doing the business a favor. No yeah. one's laughing at that. So you, it's the same with the relationship. You pick apart the relationship because that's what people find funny, not that you you guys are, you know, childhood sweethearts and you're going to grow old together. Nobody laughs at that. That's nice, but nobody laughs at that. So you exactly. The, you have to pick the relationship apart. Absolutely. Oh, that was so thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. I was like, oh, I'm going to keep a mental note of this, too. It's like comedy masterclass. I love it. Well, um, that's the, the only problem is, you know, you, whoever you're dating might have a problem with like why you're talking about me on stage. <laughs> I can't believe you're you're telling everybody that I'm like, well, I mean, I go, you know, when you go to work, you bad mouth me. So I'm doing the same thing. Basically, I'm going to work and bad mouthing you. Yes. So, you know, I just have a, maybe a little bit of bigger audience, but, you know, it's the same thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. That's a great way to say it too. Um, what I'll add, you know, speaking of going to work and doing stuff, was there, uh, speaking of, you know, performing and everything too, was there a specific show? I know obviously you've been doing this a very long time and uh, very seasoned comic, but was there a show that sticks out to you at the top of your head where it was very memorable to you and it meant a lot? Probably the first time I got on TV, MTV, was doing a comedy hour. I was doing comedy like three years and they picked me to be, you know, to stand up on there. So it was my first TV appearance. And, uh, you know, I did well on there. And then I wound up getting a college agent. I wanted to get the booking agent from it. And my career started taking off from there. So just that first TV spot, you know, you're nervous, you're nervous. And that was when people still watch MTV when they still, you know, late nineties, mid to late nineties or something like that. But it was just, it was a big thrill. It's like, wow, I got on TV doing stand up, you know, for the first time. And it really helped a lot in my career. So I think that was probably the best, the, the, the one that sticks out for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was actually going to get into that too. You know, obviously we love performing in front of, you know, a live audience, but you know, mentioning TV, you're the first comedian I've had on here that's really spoken highly of their TV appearance, um, other than yeah, there's a couple, but I loved your positive review on that. What was kind of the transition for you uh, performing in front of the cameras and whatnot? Was there a different approach that you had to do or did you kind of just stay in your own? Um, just what was the difference in between speaking in front of a live audience versus even though it was still live, but you had the cameras all around you and whatnot? Well, yeah, it's a lot more nerve wracking when you yes. feel and you pretty much have. I th yeah, we only did one show. We, you know, usually you do when you do a comedy special or something, you'll do two shows in one night. You pick from the best. But, yeah, you got one shot to get it. And exactly. the, the audience is a lot further away from you. So. You know, a place like the Funny Bone in St. Louis just sitting right on top of you, right at the stage. There's tables right there, which is great for comedy. Mm -hmm. But then you're doing a TV tape and there's all the cameras in the front of you. And then behind them is the audience. So it's a little nerve wracking, like, because you really need them. It definitely helps when they're closer. 
Yes. So that's always an obstacle. But then, the, you know, the audience knows, hey, we're here for a TV tape and we want to they're supporting. They want to cut. They want to laugh, you know, to help the comics out. They're excited, too. So uh, but you still got to deliver. You know, that's the, that's the bottom line. You still mm-hmm. got to you know, they still got to like it and everything else. So, uh, yeah, it worked out well, which is which is great. Absolutely. No, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Um, You know, speaking of TV, were there any other TV endeavors that you were in? You know, we talked about your live show, obviously, and like getting on stage and, you know, your specials and stuff. But was there, you know, as you started doing TV more, um, was there a certain time as you kept going that really meant a lot to you as well? Well, you know, when I got on that show, uh, Crank Anchors on Comedy Central, a prank phone call show. Mm-hmm. That's what pretty much, you know, put my career at a different level and started opening doors and selling tickets in the clubs and stuff. So that that, you know, put me on the map, you know, where people like, well, you know, you know, not just on the East Coast or whatever, like the artist guys, you know, and the TV show was really popular at the time. So that really helped my launch my career just by doing that. And, that, you know, you want to get other stuff from there and all that. So, um, yeah, that was definitely you know, I didn't get a sitcom with my name on it or whatever like that, but I did get on a TV show, which I was pretty popular and doing prank calls, which, you know, I was doing stuff as a kid. So I was used to doing it. And I was good at messing with people. So. Yeah. I like missed the days where I could do a prank call. Now I feel like everything is caller IDs. So I couldn't do that anymore, but that's really awesome. And it, it seems like you've done very well with Comedy Central. Um, I was going to ask you too, is there somebody that you've worked with as well that you've really admired throughout your career, whether that being on Comedy Central or touring the country? Is there anybody as a, a comedian? Obviously, you know, you yourself are very professional, but is there anybody else in the industry you enjoyed working with? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I always, I toured uh, a lot with Artie Lang. You know, he was on the Howard Stern show. He was a sidekick. I would go on there as a regular guest. So, me, him, and a bunch of other guys from the show, uh, Stutter and John, who was on the show, and a bunch of other comics did a whole like tour of these different cities. When it, you know, so that was that was really fun to do. It was wild, and that was great. And Artie was a good friend. Another guy that grew up in New Jersey, and then Andrew Dice Clay was one of my, you know, inspirations to get up on stage when I first started. And then later on in my career, I wound up meeting him, becoming friends with him, and then opening for him. So traveling him and opening his shows was was a great thing too, because he's basically inspired me to get up on stage. I was a big fan of comedy. I just never knew. I actually wanted to go up and do it. And when I saw him start performing and the audiences he could draw with the leather jacket on, I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, so I uh, just, you know, and open it for him and get advice from him was amazing. Absolutely. Which speaking of advice, was there, you know, there's comedians that obviously listen to this podcast and especially like when people see Jim Florentine, we have some fans of yours. Uh, What kind of advice would you give a up and coming comedian uh, working in the industry that maybe you received early on or you've learned later on? Um, You know, just get get up on stage anytime you can, no matter where it doesn't matter. Uh, you only get to get better by getting up on stage. You're not going to get better by sitting home. So it's whether it's an open mic in, a, in some, you know, little sleazy bar or something like that, or they're barely paying attention or whatever, just take any gig. And, you know, the show, some are going to be good. Some are going to be bad. Some you're going to get paid, you know, a thousand dollars. You're like, Oh my God, I got a thousand. And then the other one's going to be $10. Take both. Don't think you're too good when you get some good gigs, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're a St. Louis comic and Greg Warren takes you on the road and you're playing in front of packed audience. Then the next week, you're, you're a 
back in an open mic and playing a place in front of 10 people go, no, I just played in front of a, a big crowd. I'm not doing this anymore. That's the only way you can get better is by doing everything. So you take those Greg Warren when you open for him and he sells out everywhere and those all, this audience is set up for you and they love you. But then you got to go back to, you know, drawing board basically and just keep working and working. So, you know, every gig's not going to be great. And don't think you're such a big star because you got one and you did really well. Because I'll humble you in a second the next day when you do another gig. Absolutely. That was great advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, sometimes comedians, too, they share, and I, I don't mean to bring up if there's anything bad, but was there ever a show that maybe you had probably early on or that was maybe a humbling experience for you? Or did you have to deal with the heckler that maybe you didn't want to deal with uh, that you would be comfortable sharing on the podcast? Yeah, I mean, there's always, you know, you always get hecklers when you're mixing alcohol and, you know, right. late night <laughs> yeah. shows, Friday second show, Saturday second show, you know, there's going to be problems. You know, it's just the way it is in stand-up. You never know. It's, uh, you know, the whole theory is, hey, if people have a couple drinks in them, they'll loosen up, but that's not necessarily the case. You know, sometimes they do a show when no one's drinking, they're a better crowd. So that, that doesn't mean, that just means they're, you know, they're less, they have less ambitions or, I don't know, what's the word? I forget what I'm saying. But anyway, that they're just, they don't even realize they're causing a problem. They're talking too loud because they're right. drunk. Oh, what, I'm not allowed to talk? No, you're not allowed <laughs> to talk at a comedy club. Right. Go talk outside. I'm just talking. I'm helping the comedian out, that kind of stuff. So. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but then, then, yeah, and then you, there's going to be a bunch of shows you're going to bomb, but those are the ones you learn from. Even though they're tough and it's you know tough to take and you feel like, you feel like crap afterwards. Those are the ones you learn from. Like, man, I can't have that happen again. I got to make some adjustments in my set or whatever I got to do. So you really learn from them. You could do well a lot, but you don't. But you really learn from the the shows when you don't do well. When you go, all right, I gotta I gotta figure something out. There's something's not working, or maybe I was off, and maybe I gotta I gotta bring it the next night. You know. So those are the shows good shows to learn from. Absolutely. Yes, I completely agree. It's definitely a good humbling experience for sure. And I feel like you learn the most too. So I absolutely agree with you on that. Um, earlier too, we had talked about that you were in the suburbs of New Jersey. Um, I was about to say, you know, you've traveled all over the country, uh, but why remain in the Northeast? Do you have, did you grow up there? Do you have a connection to there? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I come from a family of seven kids. Mm -hmm. You know, we all, I still live you know, almost in the same town I grew up in and, um, you know, near New York City where you either want to be in New York or L.A. I never made the move to L.A. I'm not a good ass kisser. So that just wasn't going to work for me. I just I just don't have it in me. New York, you can get on stage a lot more, you know, to do stand up. You could do four or five shows in one night, a lot more comedy clubs. So and all my I got friends since, you know, since like first grade that I still hang out with, you know, Absolutely. so it's like. You know, you're on the road by yourself enough where at some point you've got to be grounded. You need a you need a regular life too, like a normal life to just hang out with people that aren't in the industry and hang out with family and friends and stuff. So that's why I never left. And I, I don't regret it at all either. I would have been miserable if I went out to L.A. I'm just, like I said, I'm not an ass kisser. I just can't do it. Oh, yeah. You know, either you think, either you think I'm funny or right for the part or not. I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, follow you around for friggin' three months. Yeah, right. I'm not going to do that. Sorry. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, like I said, I have a connection to the Northeast. So I know you had mentioned that being from the family, but I love that you stayed there and I love that you still have connections with people, even from the first grade, because I feel the same exact way. Um, but yeah, do you feel like you said you riff off of everyday life? Do you feel like all these relationships that you, and you know, I have obviously seen your other specials and things as well, but, um, do you feel like they played a good part for your material and your set to all of your life experiences? Definitely. I mean, that's, you know, almost like, a, you know, a songwriter, if they go through a divorce or some kind of, you know, big event in their life, they write about it. And sometimes that's what inspires you to write, whether it's good or bad, something good through your life or bad through your life. So, and a comic is almost the same way, you know, you make it personal and nobody can do that material and they know it's coming from the heart. So it's your story. So, um, though I've always tried to, you know, say, okay, if this is what happened, then I'm going to talk about it on stage. You know, because uh, I think it'd be good. You know, it's good material, and people can relate. Everybody's been through a divorce or whatever. You know, so like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. You know, so you always want to still, you know, ultimately you want to relate to the audience. You want to, you make your material relatable but personal to you. Absolutely, and I, like I said, you know, even though it's not exactly the same life. I still feel much, very much that I relate to you when I listen to your stuff, even though it's like we're two different people, but that's what I love about your comedy, which leads me to one of my last questions here. You know, we talked about your comedy, your specials, your books, your TV appearances, but what would probably be the best way to describe your style for people who now after listening to this episode are going to check out your special on comedy on the, on YouTube, I was going to say on comedy on YouTube, <laughs> bite the bullet. What should they expect? What, what kind of uh, style? I don't know. You know, I'm just, I'm inappropriate. <laughs> I love it. Yes. You know, I guess I'm like that guy that you, uh, you know, if you guys are going out a big group, you're like, I right, listen to this one guy that might say something that's inappropriate or he's, he's childish. So just know that, you know, <laughs> he's a good guy. He means well, but he's just, he's just, he, he just never grew up. I like Everybody it. has that one friend, you know what I mean? Like, Oh man, yes. what is he, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm probably that guy that just like, you know, yeah, just busting balls or doing something <laughs> or whatever, you know, but I, I, you know, I don't mean it in a bad way. And then, then, you know, I'm just like, you know, yeah, and it's like I, I everybody can relate. Like I know a guy like that, you know, guy that's kind of like you know, yeah, mm -hmm. just never grew up and is childish and just still pulling pranks and just a little angry, you know. So I think people can relate. Absolutely. Oh, especially I mean, I get angry about stuff, and even if I'm not talking about it on stage, I'm riffing about it in my head in real life. So I can definitely relate to that. Uh, Jim, other than your uh, special, is there anything else that you'd like to promote that you have coming up in the future? No, I think that's it. Just go to um, yeah, my YouTube channel. I got a bunch of different like sketches and stuff that I did, I've done on there before. Um, There's a bunch of different uh, bits and all that stuff on there. It's just uh, youtube.com slash Jim Florentine Comedy. And then my website, jimflorentine.com is where all my tour dates are. Absolutely. Yeah. Sounds good. I actually looked at jimflorentine.com. It has everything Jim related. Uh, anybody that's going to look at it, you're going to love it. And especially you're going to love his um, comedy special, Bite the Bullet. I laughed the whole time I watched it. Uh, Jim, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for promoting your show with us. And we always say, what are you going to casually do now, now that this episode is over? Uh, I'm going to watch the football game. Okay, cool. Who yeah, is a football it just game on tonight. Okay. It's uh, the, the NFL playoffs. It, well, it's the team that, that broke St. Louis's heart, the Los oh. Angeles Rams. Oh, no. 
<laughs> well, I'll root for the car, and they're playing the Cardinals, so I'll root for the Cardinals. Just that I don't like that they moved either. Mm-hmm. Oh you yeah, know? that's a hot topic here for sure. But I think you saved yeah. the day by rooting for the Cardinals. <laughs> I appreciate yeah, you. I, I don't that. know. I don't like any of that stuff. They just, you know, it's it's you know they just did it for the money, and then they yeah, it's whatever. But yeah, I will root for the Cardinals <laughs> just because of that. Because uh, St. Louis is a great baseball town. It's a great sports town. Mm-hmm. It you is. know, just that for the Yank that that's. That team out of there. They don't need two teams in, in Los Angeles. They could just have one. That exactly. one is fine. Absolutely. But, you know, they had to do both. So I'll root for the Cardinals. Well, you know what? We lost the losing team. You know, now we're going to have the Cardinals and the Blues here. So I'm happy. We have the Stanley Cup. So <laughs> kind of like sure, that's one right. thing. That's one yeah, thing yeah. that I'm I'm rooting for. So that's good. Uh, but yeah, well, I'll let you watch the game. And uh, we'll be able to share your episode with everybody this week. And uh, thank you for tuning in. Remember, you can casually subscribe to the Casually Molly podcast on YouTube, Instagram, all the places that you can stream the, uh, the, <laughs> the podcast. And then, of course, you can stream again, Bite the Bullet with Jim Florentine on YouTube. Thank you, Jim. Have a good rest of your night. Thank you, Molly. Appreciate it. 